the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. To have faith in God is not a stagnant state. It's a journey. As a believer, we should grow in our knowledge of God and His Word. Walk with Alan Cutting and many other believers as together we walk the believer's journey. Aloha and welcome again to the Believer's Journey. I want to thank you again for joining us, for praying for us, uh, all your support in every other way that uh, we are receiving it. I really do appreciate it. I want to give a special thanks to our sponsors, to Allison and Thompson Insurance, to Guerrero CPA, uh, Trade Show Displays. And I want to give a shout out to some new friends in Pakistan. Uh, we've had, I've had some contact, and I guess I'll be uh, meeting with them on video this Friday. And I just want to say hello. It's kind of nice that uh, people are being reached all over the world, and um, this is a true blessing. Anyway, today we're going to talk about overcoming trials and temptations. And with me as my guest, I have Captain Joshua Robinette. Uh, who's with the Salvation Army. And um, hello. Hey, thanks for having me on, Alan. This is exciting. <laughs> yeah. So um, you've been uh, an Army officer and you've been ordained since 2010. At least you were ordained in 2010. That's correct. Yeah. You've been working with the uh, Salvation Army for 12 years? 13 years. 13. I'm actually starting year number 14 this year here in San Antonio and I've, have served in a variety of communities. Uh, primarily in the state of Arkansas, believe it or not. Last June, the Army saw fit to move us to San Antonio, Texas, and we've been here a year overseeing the ministry. And what a hot year it is. <laughs> <laughs> it has been. That's been an adjustment for us, for sure. I had a friend who was in the, the Army, Army, uh-huh. and he was sent here like in the spring. Then he was sent here like in the late fall. I thought it was beautiful. And he moves here. Um, and you know, summer came, and he's like, you know, oh, what I do? Yeah. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> just, right. No, you couldn't stand the heat. He just didn't know. <clears throat> well, I want to give a little background on the Salvation Army. We're sure. going to talk about this. I didn't know this, but the Salvation Army was uh, founded in London, England, back in 1885, was it? 1865. Yeah, that's so, right. Wow. Yeah, so the, the organization is over 150 years old. In San Antonio, the ministry has been going on for over 134 years. So um, William Booth, and, and your listeners may have heard of William and Catherine Booth. They're sort of uh, well, they're the founders of the Salvation Army. They started at, it was actually the Christian mission that eventually evolved into the Salvation Army. And William Booth was a Methodist minister. And during his teenage years, he uh, worked for a pawnbroker. And he saw poverty and uh, just a lot of um, areas in England, particularly the east end of England, that uh, lot, that was just plagued with poverty and people he they, he knew they needed the gospel was as uh, he saw as a Methodist minister these people were not being reached and so he decided I'm going to start a ministry and basically going out wanting folks to get saved and then plugged into a local church and I'm going to paraphrase here but 
when William Booth started that ministry, one of the things that he said as he encountered these folks, he said that the growls of their belly were so loud they couldn't hear the call of the gospel. In other words, their physical needs being unmet was a barrier for them to hear the gospel message. And so William Booth said, if I can help the man on the outside, if I could put some food in his belly, uh, help him get clothed, get a job, get an education, then maybe I can reach him for Christ, which ended up starting the social ministry of the Salvation Army. Which is actually very biblical because that's the way Jesus did it. Uh, that's right. That's yeah. absolutely right. And I, I think that it's really remarkable. Now, you and I have a connection because of the Nazarene Church. I, I started going to the Nazarene Church when I was 14, and I went to Point Loma Nazarene University. You went to Trevecca. Yes, that's correct. So, um, And from there, I guess, we've gone our, our ways. But it's interesting um, the. The Salvation Army now is in, from my information, is 127 different countries. Yeah, it's it's roughly around that. We add another country here and there, so it is a it is an international organization. They're started in London, uh, and has uh, an active ministry in roughly 127, 128 countries. Okay, why why I brought up the Nazarene Church is because it kind of was born out of the same way. Uh, if you um, we all, or you know, Brazil started in the areas that were poor mm -hmm. to reach people in the poor neighborhoods. And I understand that's the same way that the Salvation Army did the same thing. Yeah, absolutely. And and both actually are, you know, stem from what we might call the Wesleyan movement. So John Wesley strongly influenced, you know, William Booth and Catherine Booth and their theology, uh, which also... Uh, is what motivated them to get outside the church wall, so to speak, and, and serve people at their point of need. In fact, the, the uh, mission of the Salvation Army is to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ and to meet human needs in his name without discrimination. So, uh, so I have here the different ways, and we're going to go through these, uh, but I just want to read the different ways the Salvation Army actually ministers to people. Uh, so one, they, in holiday... Uh, assistance. So, for example, at Christmas time, we see the guy ringing the bell and the little pot. So we know we're familiar with Christmas. Sure, sure. Um, then we have emergency disasters. Yes. Okay. Um, we have uh, homeless uh, and emergency shelters. Correct. So from what I understand, you have shelters uh, for the homeless, but you also have where you put people up. In emergency situations, that might be one, two, or three days. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so here in San Antonio, and, and by the way, what you'll find in every community the Army's in, their service might look different because the Army's ministry is agile enough to make sure that we're identifying local needs in the community and able to meet those. Here in San Antonio, we actually have uh, three sheltering programs. We have a shelter for, for men, we have a shelter for single women, and then we have a family shelter as well. And all of those shelters have programs within them. Some of them are just simple emergency shelters. Some folks just come in and they need a, a few nights, maybe a week to stay. They can come in, stay, have a meal, get a shower, maybe get some clothes, things of that, and get them on their way. Uh, but beyond that, we have programs that are designed to uh, meet some of the more 
uh, challenging needs, that especially that we face in the country, around housing insecurity. And so we have what we call bridge programs. And bridge programs, they don't have necessarily an end date on them, but every family, every single man, every single woman that is in the bridge program, they work with what we call a case manager. And you might think of them sort of like a life coach that is coaching these families, helping them set goals and overcome the barriers uh, to the situation that they find themselves in until they are eventually housed. Coupled with that, what the Salvation Army tries to do is a holistic approach to our ministry is to also connect them with spiritual services. Here in San Antonio, we actually have three congregations that have Salvation Army officers that are ordained ministers, and they actually pastor um, and minister to a lot of the folks who are coming for us. They think that they just have the physical need, but we know that deep down we we have physical needs, but we also have spiritual needs. And so the Army tries to uh, holistically address those through our services. And it looks like you also help with uh, emotional and mental needs. You have adult rehabilitation centers. We do. We have an adult rehabilitation center here in San Antonio. It houses about 80 men. And this, is a, this, this program is designed to assist individuals who struggle with substance abuse and addiction. And I have personally seen individuals who have come into the center, just a shell of a man, broken down by their addiction to be uh, to find Christ, to find salvation, and to be built back up. And today are living sober, Christ-centered lives and are giving back to society. And so it's a very it's it's one of the the most rewarding ministries that I've been a part of. Uh, I have an uncle who recently graduated one of those adult rehabilitation centers. So from a personal standpoint. I've seen it change people's lives that are very close to me and also those that we've been able to minister to. That's, that's really cool. Let's back up, back to the holiday assistance. Okay. Yes. Talk about this because I know it's not just Christmas. You know, right. You mentioned I want to passed over it, but what do, what is the holiday assistance and how does it reach people and help people? Yeah. So the holiday assistance, uh, it really I think it started around 1976 in Lynchburg, Virginia. We call it the Angel Tree Program, and there's and, you, and some of your listeners may be familiar with the prison ministry that also does the Angel Tree Program. So the Salvation Army and that ministry both. The idea behind that was during the holidays. Needs are increased. Uh, there are um, external pressures that individuals face related to the holidays and the change of seasons, etc. School starting and all that sort of thing. And so the Army and this other ministry, the goal here is to meet those basic needs of individuals. So the idea behind it is, is you'll see throughout the community little angels hanging on trees in department stores or to Walmarts where people in the community come in and they can adopt that angel. And what they simply do is there's a list of uh, sizes of pants and shoes and maybe a winter coat uh, and a wish item. Maybe it's a bicycle. If you can imagine waking up on Christmas morning and having a new bicycle really means a lot to a, to a child. So the idea behind it was to meet that that basic need and at the same time also to share the gospel message what christmas is really all about and so uh that's a big part of the holiday ministry there's some food services that we provide and some community meals as well and so uh that's primarily kind of what we're doing during the holiday season it's sort of an addition to the the things that we do day in and day out other than the sheltering and the rehab program 
Now, is it only because it's called holiday assistance? Do they only help with Christmas, or is it also like Thanksgiving or any other? Yeah, so Thanksgiving, we'll typically have a a community meal uh, that is open to the community. Uh, In some communities I've lived in, we would deliver meals uh, to folks who are shut in, or uh, sometimes we don't think about. Although we did when COVID happened, but those who are serving in the front lines and the hospitals and our paramedics and the police, those folks who they can't take the holiday off. So we would often deliver meals to those folks just to say how much we appreciate what they do for us. Now, I know that especially in the last five or more years, we've seen a lot of disasters worldwide. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's just been tremendous. Um, And you see a lot of Red Cross people out there um, in these disasters, where do we find the, uh, the Salvation Army? Yeah, so it, it depends on, on the disaster. Uh, here's what we're equipped to do. At most times, let's say a hurricane was to come on. Uh, we have trained volunteers who are ready to go and be deployed into these communities that are impacted. We have a commercial kitchen on wheels that can serve up to 500 meals at a time. Um, And so the Salvation Army is there doing really two things. One, we're trying to meet individuals' physical needs. We want to make sure they're fed. We want to make sure they're hydrated. And it's not just those impacted, but those who are serving that that are trying to help people recover. Uh, The second thing that our goal is, is to provide emotional, spiritual care. And sometimes it's just listening, right? How do you fix uh, someone's house who's just totally been wiped out by a tornado? Sometimes folks just need a vent. They need to talk to you. They need a prayer. They need a hug. And that's where the Salvation Army comes in with our emotional spiritual care ministries. And so uh, we have a presence all over the United States. And uh, anytime disaster calls, the Salvation Army is typically one of the first ones on the scene whenever a disaster occurs. That's really good to know. Yeah. Um, do you work with other ministries? Like, for example, we've had a lot of other ministries on our program, like uh, Church Under the Bridge and CAM and so forth. And sure. a lot of them work together. Do you work together with other ministries? Yeah, absolutely. In fact, uh, if you think of the the needs in any given community, it's larger than any one organization. So it really takes a community. We have community partners, uh, f- folks like CAM. Uh, and SAM Ministries and others that are also uh, active in that space. And collectively and collaboratively, we seek to address those problems that plague our society. So it was interesting because if you go on the map of the city, you know, uh, and you type in um, Salvation Army, all these red buttons come up and you'll see Worship Center and you'll see Food Bank Center or something. So... Talk to me about your worship center. I mean, is it an actual church? I mean, is that where people go and worship, like in a community base? Yeah, it is, actually. We actually have uh, a number of uh, chapels. Uh, some of them are embedded in a community center. And um, we, have a, we have congregants who come, and we worship like any other congregation does. You know, we, where we're, there's prayer, there's the singing of hymns and praise and worship. There's a, a, someone up there that's going to be preaching a sermon. Um, and, you know, in between those Sundays, there's Bible studies, there's discipleship. All that is part of uh, the ministry of the Salvation Army. Do you have choirs? 
in some places we do. We actually have a brass band here. So it, a lot of folks may be familiar with Salvation Army brass bands. Uh, my son actually is, uh, he's, at, he's, he's actually switching schools. He's going to go to Reagan High School this year, but he's going into his senior year. He's in marching band, but he also plays in, in the church band. And so we have brass music, plays the hymns. And let me tell you, there's nothing like a good brass band you know, belting out some of the great hymns of the church. Yeah. It's funny. We, um, a few years ago, we left the church we were at. Uh, one of the, one of the reasons or more than one, but is that they disbanded the choir. And so my wife was in the choir. She wanted to sing in a choir. And so we ended up going to a church with a choir. So, um, and I knew there were hundreds of people doing the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. So it's interesting. We call our choirs, um, songster groups. And so we have, uh, like a junior songsters for the kiddos where we're teaching and then the elders, but essentially it's a choir. So before I go on, I want to ask you a question. I noticed that, uh, going onto the website of the Salvation Army, uh, website, there are lieutenants and captains and majors. And, and so you're a captain. So how does, how does that work? And, and are you going to be a major someday? I, I will be a major someday. Uh, typically, uh, so here's how it works. Um, the Army does take a sort of militaristic structure. Savage Army officers have ranks. When you go to the training college, by the way, there are four of them in the United States where Savage Army officers are trained. Uh, it's a two-year program. When you're there, you're a cadet. As you finish up yeah. your first five years uh, as a Savage Army officer, you are a lieutenant. You know, if you stick around long enough, you'll be a captain. Uh, and then after 15 years of service, so I'm on year 14, after 15 years of service, you become a major. So it's based off of tenure. Then there are some ranks uh, that are higher, like let's say a colonel, commissioner. We even have a general. All those are sort of more merit-based ranks uh, and also within the Salvation Army. So if you looked at my position, my position here in San Antonio is I'm an area commander. It's a specific position that is, again, probably more of a merit-based position. And then we have core officers that are our, they're our pastors, so to speak. So I have under me uh, three sets of uh, core officers in San Antonio. And then we also oversee New Braunfels. So we have a set of core officers over there that uh, are in charge of some of the programs and uh, the ministry that's happening uh, day to day in the army. So I noticed that in New Braunfels, the, they have a couple who are majors. That's correct. So are they under you? They are. Wow. That's, that is, that is, <laughs> that's odd. So uh, we have a number of majors that are under us. Um, and uh, I don't, I'm not sure why that is. I don't, I think it is somewhat unprecedented. It's something new that's happening. Uh, if you look at the society as a whole right now we ha you have the boomer generation very large generation of mm -hmm. folks then you have a smaller generation of gen x and then an, a, another larger generation of the millennials what you have is this a lot of the boomers are retiring and the generation was so large that the gen x generation there's not enough of them to fill all those spots the leadership spots mm -hmm. that the boomers have so what you're seeing is a lot of the millennials and this is happening in in all sorts of ministries and organizations all across america um, where you have the millennials sort of taking leadership roles maybe sooner than what has historically been the case and i think that we my wife and i definitely <clears throat> fall into that camp 
Well, if you're a boomer like me who didn't plan real well for their future, you're still working. You're still getting after it. <laughs> and <now>. still, <laughs> still got to pay the bills. <laughs> I understand that. So tell me, if somebody wanted to volunteer or help or even get in, involved or become part of in the Salvation Army, how, what, what do they do? How do you, how do you recommend somebody go forth and what areas do you have need? Yeah, sure. So we, like, as I mentioned earlier, we have a number of shelters in the area here uh, and, and serving a mill and coming alongside and encouraging those folks who are staying in there is, a, is one easy way for individuals to come and volunteer. We have food pantries. You mentioned the food banks that we have <clears throat> scattered across the city is another way for individuals who can volunteer to come in and to serve. We actually have two senior nutrition programs. Uh, one, we're almost at three, but right now two officially that are serving us. Uh, senior citizens in our city that folks can come in and they can help serve in those areas. Uh, we have a Boys and Girls Club, actually, uh, near Woodlawn Lake, and uh, we're always looking for uh, individuals to come in and help mentor the next generation. Uh, and so those are some very quick, easy ways for people to come in and volunteer. All they have to do is go to our website or call our office and get in contact with our volunteer coordinator. Her name is Amanda Bishop. Now, Another layer to your question is, how do people possibly get involved, maybe even become a Salvation Army officer? You're not seeing any job fairs where the Salvation Army is out uh, recruiting to become Salvation Army officers. So the way that someone can become involved in the ministry in the capacity that I am, it starts in the local congregation. And our members, we enroll them as soldiers. So we take this military theme all the way as far as you can take it. So members, active members, are soldiers. Now, we often tell our soldiers that becoming a soldier in the Salvation Army, we're not looking for folks who are just going to come in and, and have that consumer mindset and just consume. But we're asking people to come in and be engaged in the mission and help preach the gospel and help meet human needs uh, in the name of Christ. And so uh, it starts there. And then if someone is feeling the stirring of the spirit in their heart, that God is calling them to Salvation Army officership, uh, then it starts with a conversation with your local Salvation Army officer. Uh, and then there'll be a process that, that they would go through, uh, making sure that, you know, indeed it is a calling from God and that they're going to be a good fit for the ministry. Now, you mentioned there is a two-year, um, like, schooling, if you will. That's right. So how, do, how does that work? I mean, is there a tuition? Does Is it uh, like you get a degree? What is involved? Yeah. Um, so what does, it, is, it is schooling. There is tuition. Uh, what it would require. So I'm from Odessa, Texas. And I'm when, sorry. Yeah. Have you been out there? There's yes. not much out there, is there? Um, I grew up out there, uh, and I encountered the ministry of the Army as a young person. I was raised by a single mom. Dad was an alcoholic, grew up in a broken, broken home as a result. But I found the ministry of the Army. I say that to say that uh, that's where my journey started. When I heard the call from God saying, I... Josh, I want you to be a Salvation Army officer. It required me to, at the time, uh, sell my car or my belongings and pack up and move, me and my wife, and at the time, 18-month-old son, and move to Atlanta, Georgia. 
where there's housing there, there's you're going to be fed, you're going to be taken care of, you're not going to be making any money, uh, but all your needs are met and your training starts there. Um, there are costs to that and there's tuition uh, that has to be paid, but there are also other financial assistance uh, resources out there like there is with any sort of um, schooling. When you finish that two year, number one, you're ordained as a minister, uh, a lieutenant in the Salvation Army. Um, we have, uh, at one point, we were accredited. And uh, like when I finished, I had an associate's in basically Christian ministry. From there, that's when I went on to uh, schooling at Trevecca Nazarene University, where I got my, my bachelor's in Christian ministry, and then later to get my master's in uh, business administration. So, yeah, that's, that is all involved in the process, but it's more of a, it is a very practical type of training. You're going you're gonna to learn about the different Salvation Army models of ministry. You're going to have opportunities to, to serve in the Atlanta area. When you finish up your first year, and you might find this interesting, you finish your first year, they'll send you back to a local community, uh, primarily from the state that you're from. I was from Texas. My wife and I, that guess what? They sent us to San Antonio. And so for six weeks during the summer, we served. Uh, we were under the leadership of local Salvation Army officers here where we got some mentorship uh, and some on-the-job training. Went back, finished up our next year, and then you're out there. You're, they're going to appoint you. The thing that happens in the Army that folks need to be prepared for, for Salvation Army officers, it is an itinerant ministry. You're not going to be one place for a very long time. And so you've got to be prepared to pack up and move when the Army calls. So, okay, um, I, I know people who have a degree in ministry, bachelors. Yes. But they're not real happy in where they're at. And um, so someone like that, if, if uh, the Salvation Army offers an associate, I mean, opposed to they already have a bachelor's, how would something like that work? Yeah, so the way that works is individuals who might have, uh, let's say, some, not, it's not even just education, but let's say life experience that uh, are, they, they come upon the Salvation Army, they come and they fill a call. The Salvation Army has what we call auxiliary captains, and it's a different kind of track. doesn't require you to go to the training college to go through that two-year process. Uh, but there is some some training that happens more virtual than anything else and some uh, classes that you'll have to take. But it does open up a track for individuals to serve as Salvation Army officers without having to go to uh, the training college. I, I know that... Uh Colleges are very different. I, I went to Point Loma, and I, I went to uh, Golden State University and then Liberty University, and where I got my bachelor's and my master's degree. Mm-hmm. And they were much different than when I also went to Nazarene Bible College, yes, which where I got an associate. But it was a much different college, like what you're explaining. It it shows you how to work in the path of the ministry. You know exactly the duties you need to perform. Yes. So the liberal arts colleges don't do that. I mean, you would know, but Trevecca didn't do it. Right. Point right. didn't do it. Sure. But Nazarene Bible College did do it. Mm. But it's not, it was not at the time recognized like all the other big universities. So I right. can understand how that could be 
a, a real difference. Yeah, it is. And that's why I say uh, for a while the Army, the Salvation Army Training College was not accredited. And part of that was is it, it, it's a specialized training. You're filling a niche ministry. Mm-hmm. And so you're getting that specialized training. Um, several years ago, just at, actually during my tenure of going through there, the local leadership had worked uh, in partnership, actually, with Trebek and Nazarene University to make it possible for accreditation to happen. Uh, I'm not sure where things stand now with that, but I do know we're still training Salvation Army officers. It is still specialized training when you get out. There's no uh, when, when you when you finish up, you're not like, well, what do I do or do I need to find a church? No, the, we ha- the Army's going to have a spot for you, and we'll appoint you to a town and a community for you to serve. So I want to back up a second. You mentioned something about their senior nutrition. Yes. Um, what does that do? I mean, we have a lot of seniors, not only in San Antonio, but all over the country that really need a lot of help. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, very much like our disaster services ministry, um, it's twofold. Number one, nutrition is in senior nutrition program. So we're concerned about the, the nutrition of our seniors. We want to make sure they're well-fed on a healthy diet and that they are their, well, their physical well-being is taken care of. But secondary to that, I, I wouldn't even say secondary, but uh, together with that is their spiritual well-being, their emotional well-being. Uh, you know as well as I do that there are some seniors, even here in San Antonio, that find themselves in a lonely place. Um, and so the Salvation Army Senior Nutrition Centers are places where they also find community. They find spiritual support, emotional support. And so uh, those are things, some of the things we do in there, some of our bingos, they love to play uh, bingo. And it's a senior nutrition program, so their prizes are food. <laughs> Sometimes it's proteins and different things of that nature. Uh, but, um, you know, they love to play bingo. We have dances. We have all sorts of fun things uh, that c- help create community. If you were to take a tour down at our center on Elmira, it's right smack dab in downtown San Antonio. Um, if I took you back there, you would see a room with paintings that are hung up everywhere. And our seniors come in, and these are phenomenal. I mean, these people would pay money for these. They're that high quality of paintings. Our seniors paint all this. So there's opportunities for painting and crafts and, Mm. you know, a place for them to find some purpose. So if I'm a senior and I would like to go there, how do I get there? Well, um, it, it depends, you know. I mean, if if you have transportation of your own, you know, obviously, I say I do. yeah, I say you I don't, do. yeah. Uh, I w- I would say your first bet is to call the Salvation Army, and we'll get you in contact with our program coordinator there, and they'll we'll do what we can to find a center that's close to you where you can we can get you in and get you plugged in. There's a ministry that I had on my program, and I was totally. Oh, it just overwhelmed. It's mm. called the Good Samaritan, and they take seniors to uh, activity centers and to their doctor's offices and so forth. And, and this guy totally blew me away with mm. what they do. And that might be some. That's uh, a partnership. A partnership, exactly, because they can bring seniors from where they have are without transportation to your center. Absolutely, and that would be amazing. The guy is just amazing, and the ministry is amazing, and and I I really highly recommend this. I'll connect with them. So yeah, okay. 
Um, so, well, if, if anybody is interested in, in uh, contacting the Salvation Army here in San Antonio, you can go to our website, thebelieversjourney.net, and go to our guest page, and you'll see the logo right there, the Salvation Army logo, and you click on it and go right to the website. Or on our, as you're watching our video, um, across the banner, you'll see um, Josh's name, and you'll see the... Uh, uh, link right there to go to their website and you can contact them and and uh, there's a lot of opportunity with the Salvation Army um, they don't just ring the bell in front of the streets they don't just sell clothing and so forth in the in the shops they really do help people in the community and I really highly recommend uh, Salvation Army it's really a neat ministry it is it is it just surprised me that it's over 100 150 years old it's yes, just yes. amazingly you know, and I always think things are like that are um, they're developed here in the United States, and it wasn't. Yeah, so that's yeah. well. And what's interesting <clears throat> is um, organizations that are over a hundred years old. There are less than one percent of them that. So if they were established over a hundred years ago, there's less than one percent that's still in existence today. Wow. So um, and the army's one of them, <clears throat> and I would say it's it's not just existing; it is a thriving. Ministry. Now, are you familiar with the Missionary Alliance? I am. So, are you guys pretty much about the same kind of structure or work as far as uh, ministry? Yeah, I'm not sure uh, uh, so much about their structure. I mean, I know it wasn't A.W. Tozer with them. Uh, I think so. Yeah. So, I, I'm familiar with some of their folks yeah. who've done some books and things of that nature. But Okay. Well, uh, let's get on to our topic. Okay. Uh, we're we're going to talk about overcoming trials and temptations. Now, uh, you and I talked about there's a scripture, and I'll go ahead and read it. Okay. Uh, in James uh, chapter 1, verses 2 and 3, it says, Consider all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. <clears throat> Before we get started, I want to say one of the things that I believe and I'm included in this, but this, us Christian type people, okay, sure. have a problem with our temptations mm-hmm. because we want to we want to test the limit. We want to go to the edge and see if we can put our toe over without getting hurt, mm-hmm. without something wrong happening. Sure. We want to test that. Mm-hmm. It's just human. That's stu- the flesh in us. Stupidity. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So, so when we look at this. And look at trials, and there's a lot of people that get down about the temptations or the trials and this, that. Rather than that, I like this, consider all joy. So comment on that and what you... Yeah, so I actually differentiate a trial and a temptation. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think of it this way. Trials happen to us. Sometimes it's decisions we make. Sometimes, like you say, we're we're pushing a little close to the edge. We made a poor decision and and there's a trial that comes upon us. But those are external. Temptations, I think of, are internal. They happen inside of us. And and James talks about that when you get a little bit further down there. He's talking about desires. Um, But it is interesting that James says trials, he's talking about trials, not temptations here, that we should consider it all joy or pure joy. And, the, and the, the Greek word in there is like, when you're going through a trial, our attitude should be 100% joy, not 90% joy or 10% uh, resentment or whatever emotion that might fall in there. But he tells us to have 100% joy. 
And I think the reason why he does that is because I think there's some advantages. There's some benefits, actually, to the trials we go through. I also think it's the same attitude that Jesus had. Um, and Paul tells us in the book of Philippians to have the same mind as Christ, right? And uh, I think it's in, in the book of Hebrews where it says that Christ, basically, he faced the cross uh, enduring it's shame, but he did it with, with, with a joy set before him, I think is the way it reads, right? Doesn't mean that it was easy. Read the account of the Garden of Gethsemane. Very difficult situation, yeah. right? So our trials are not easy. That's not what James is saying. He's saying face it with joy because I think, if we get a little bit further in here, it says, hey, it develops something in you. There's some character development. And think about it. How often... Um, when you run into somebody who, you know, has experienced a number of trials in their life, they have something in them. There's something about them. And we might we might call it wisdom, we might say, uh, but there's a benefit there. I often tell people that this verse, these, these verses here, this is the biblical version of no pain, no gain. You've heard it. <laughs> and I, I think that's true here. Yeah. Well, actually, if you drop drop down to the same chapter, 1 yeah. to 12, it says, Blessed is the man who endures temptation, for when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Mm. Yes. Um, and here, the love is the one where we're actually laying down our life for him, where actually it's not just how we feel, it's what we yeah, Jeez. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a, there. It's like blessed is the man who perseveres. And up above, where it's, it says there in those first few verses, it's we, you know, consider joy when you face these trials, because it does develop perseverance. And then, and then the one who perseveres, this is the this is the crown you have. There is something. There's a reward that is waiting for you ahead. You know, when I think about going through. The trials. Uh, there's there's other verses that kind of come to mind, uh, particularly in Romans. And the the address isn't clicking in my head right now. But Paul talks about suffering and the benefits of of suffering in in character development and and then this this strengthening of the believer. It reminds me of Psalm 46, where it says there God's in it. He's an ever-present help in, in times of trouble. He's our he's our strength. And the word strength there is uh, the Hebrew word that talks about uh, kind of like a, almost a stubbornness, right? Uh, and in Psalm 46, the context was the invasion of the Assyrian army who was coming in. They had Jerusalem surrounded. This was during Hezekiah's time. Mm-hmm. And... Um, they were being besieged. No resources coming in, no resources coming out. These folks were going to be starved, yet they weren't giving up. There was a strengthening that was happening. And I think when we go through these trials, and by the way, we don't go through them alone when you read these verses. Uh, God's with us, number one. His word is here. And he puts people in our lives. Sometimes he puts ministries in our life. That when we're going through this trial, I needed to call the Salvation Army to help me when I was a young man because I was going through a trial. And God puts these things in our lives that we might go through them. But as we go through them, there's a strengthening that happens in the life of the believer. And it strengthens our faith. You know, it's interesting. um, As I watch people, you know, um, I see a lot of people will, uh, will wonder why they're not being blessed or given prosperity or, mm-hmm. or certain things. And they'll say, but but I'm a Christian or I believe in God. And I'll comment, but you're not 
you're not living a holy life. You're 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 just living kind of floundering and not really following some teachings, and you're expecting God to bless you in this. Yeah. And the book of Hebrews, you brought it up. Actually, the theme, one of the themes is that if we persevere to the end, we find life. Yeah. And perseverance is a huge thing because Jesus said, if you abide in me, which really means if you remain in me, mm. you are my disciples. Yeah, yeah. So, Well, that what also comes, like, we didn't read this verse, but the way James starts his letter, um, the way he describes himself, I think, is very relevant to as he, as he starts. He describes himself as a bondservant of Jesus. Mm-hmm. Bondservant, it ties all the way back to the Old Testament. The book of Exodus, I think, is around chapter 21, it talks about a servant. And they, these are laws regarding servants. Mm-hmm. And after seven years, the servant is to be set free. But if the servant really loves his master and he wants to voluntarily serve as a master, they'll pierce his ear. And and he's a he's a servant for life. That's what a bond servant is. Right. And James says, hey, I voluntarily submit myself as a servant to Christ for life. What does that mean? Well, that means that my life, how I navigate trials and temptations and everything else isn't a matter of personal opinion. It's a matter of what does God's word say? Yeah. When we talk about holiness and things of that nature, uh, that brought that to mind is, you know, what does God's word say is best for my life and how do I align myself with that? Yeah. Um, it's, I mean, you can find scripture upon scripture upon scripture. There's only like tons of them about trials and temptations and right and i think you know and i mentioned this earlier about i think what gets us in trouble is we we test the water we test it more than we should yeah i can attest to attest to that when i was young you know um i became i didn't grow up in the church and i became a christian when i was 16 okay but i know that you know through the next year or so i really didn't I was involved in the church, and I felt called to the ministry and all these things, but I knew that I wasn't living right, mm. and something happened to me out of the blue, and I was given medication for it that caused my whole psyche. I was It was like barbiturates. So going through college, <laughs> and I'm taking, I'm taking a, a speech, especially, was really hard because I'm slurring. And, sure. and back in the 70s, when you're going to the college, you know, you're, you're not studying to be uh, a worship leader. You study <laughs> to be a pastor. Right. Because that's all there was. You become a, a worship or a, or a youth pastor, and after two years, you go into the senior pastor. And that's, that's what it was back then. Yeah. Now it's not the same. Sure. So, so it's kind of for years I was on this, and I made decisions that were really bad. Mm. And um, my life was not good. It was really bad for at least till my mid thirties, mm. probably. And finally, well, actually, the drug changed, and I got rid of all the barbiturates, and yes. I was clear headed. Yep. And I started realizing consequences for decisions mm. not just bad consequences but positive consequences yeah you know and and i think that uh like for example romans twelve twenty one, uh, paul says don't be overcome by evil but overcome evil with good mm. so making positive choices doing the yep. right thing uh um, is really what gets us ahead. Sure, sure. You know, well, and oftentimes, as we said, you know, trials are externally happen to us. And a lot of times what is absent is any control over that trial. 
Mm-hmm. You know, there's only so much that you can do. A dear, dear friend of mine lives in Northwest Arkansas. He came and taught a, uh, a class to some of the men that were in our was in our recovery program. And one of the things he would tell me, he said, I'm going to teach you some math, and it's the only math I'm going to teach you. And it's all related to what we're talking about here. And he, the math was E plus R equals O. The events in our life plus our response equals the outcome. So there's some bad things that could happen. How we might respond to that will strongly influence the outcome, right? So the trials might happen to us and something something happens to us. We can't necessarily control the, the external circumstances, but boy, we sure can control our response. And oftentimes it, you, you see when these things happen, like there's there's something in there for us. There's some benefit. There's some lesson to be learned. Um, again, that leads to the strengthening of the believer or the persevering as we've read yeah. here. I think as we look about look at the idea of what it is to overcome trials or what it is to overcome temptation, what it is to overcome the evil and all these things, I think I think problem we have and i think i've seen this mm-hmm. in the church not over overall sure is is in the last maybe several decades is our teachings have been very watered down mm. um for example i i believe and i teach that you know uh, a believer is somebody of Jesus is somebody who follows the teachings of Jesus. Right. Our fundamental or foundational responsibility is to become like Jesus. Right. Yeah. And what the scripture tells us is that we need to make Jesus Lord of our lives. Mm. And what I, I think what people say today is that I want to accept Jesus as my savior. Lord, what is that? And they, and they don't even understand. Well, yeah, he's my Lord, but they don't understand what it means to have a master, to have a Lord, and what it is to be a servant or a bond servant. Sure, sure. And I think that's almost dismissed in people's minds. So they live like, well, Jesus is my Savior. I said the prayer, so therefore I can sin. It's okay because I'm forgiven anyway. Yeah, yeah. And there's no, there's no accountability sure. to lifestyle. Yeah, I think that cheapens <clears throat> God's grace. Yeah. You know, um, I, I think we have a holy calling as followers of Jesus. And in countless places in the New Testament where we are told to live a life worthy of our calling. And so I agree with you. Um, we, we, we sort of compartmentalize our faith. Oh, Sunday is, is this, or, or, Hey, I, I said that prayer, so I'm, I'm good. It's my ticket out of hell, so to speak. Uh, to our own detriment. We do those things to our own detriment. Because mm-hmm. God wants to, like you said, he wants to shape us into the image of his son. And that's only done through discipleship in saying, yes, Lord. Yeah. I mean, I know it's really weird. My wife and I were watching this movie the other night, and um, I have no idea. It was, you know, she likes romantic comedies and all this. Yeah. So we're watching this thing. And all of a sudden, I noticed a phrase that they use. Um, and I said, oh, this is a Mormon movie. Oh, okay. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm not sure I want to watch it. And she said, well, let's just watch it for a while and see how it turns out. It was fine, you know. Yeah. But it was interesting. Why I said brought this up, I'm not sure. But it was interesting to note the whole idea of lifestyle, you know, and 
And I think that um, we tend to live in a way that, I know what it was, the, the comment was over and over again, well, uh, pray, and if you feel in your heart that it's the right thing to do, or how do you feel in your heart? Is mm-hmm. it, is it um, uh, if, if this is what you should do, or should marry this person, or whatever it was. However, Jeremiah says the heart is deceitful. Yes, it does. Jeremiah seventeen nine, and des- desperately wicked. Yes. So how can we depend on our heart if the Bible says the heart is wicked and deceitful. Yeah, I, and you're absolutely right. That's why I think James says at the very beginning, I'm a bondservant of Christ. I'm yeah. a bondservant of God. It's not what I feel in my heart. It's what does God's truth say to me? Yeah. And how do I align my heart with his? I was talking to somebody several, a few years ago because of this. There's a big doctrinal movement uh, about God is love, and that's the essence of God. Mm-hmm. And I had a debate with this person i said actually the essence of god is holiness and love comes from his holiness and he says oh no you know god is love and i and so there is no hell there is you know because god is love and i said well what about you know he created the lake of fire for torment and for so forth and and lucifer and the angels and so forth go living being cast in there and the person said well that's god's burning love of fire (laughs) and i thought well, this this conversation obviously ended because it's there's no getting through the idea they're twisting scripture. Yeah, gone off the rails. Yeah, <clears throat> and so I, I over and over again, I now I'm just really starting to teach something that a professor taught me. He says you need to be true to the text, mm-hmm. and sometimes we read something and we pull it out. I like this, and there's a lot of other things that might disagree with the text you're pulling out because you're interpreting it. To your own feelings, yeah, or worldview, or, <laughs> or whatever. Worldview. Sure, yeah. And I really think that's where we get in trouble with temptation. That's where we get in trouble with trials. It really is. Yeah. Now, I, I think you hit the nail on the head there. Yeah, and then there's another passage in Romans twelve two. Mm-hmm. It says, "Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind." That by testing you may discern what the will of what is the will of God, mm. what is good and acceptable and perfect. And if we don't study the scripture, I've been on this kick lately about stop reading the scripture and passing it by and start studying it. Yeah. And when we study stuff like this, we start realizing what God is saying to us. Mm-hmm. And it's not just the New Testament. We want to separate that from the Old. It's a continuation. Absolutely. The whole counsel of God. Yes. And, it's, and this whole idea of living a relationship with him is from the very beginning with Adam. It, mm. It's never changed. Right. And, and I, I guess if we look at this, it makes it easier to not worry about a trials, not worry about being mm. tempted, because our focus becomes on Jesus, not on ourselves. When I was a young Salvation Army <clears throat> officer, my wife and I were appointed to Fayetteville, Arkansas. We were Corps officers. And a dear, dear friend of mine, he just passed away. In the Salvation Army, by the way, we call that, he was promoted to glory. Okay. Okay. Uh, his name is Jim Reeves. And uh, Jim would often tell me he could see the stress on this young Salvation Army officer. 
and we'd be in conversation and he would say, Lieutenant, what's it got to do with eternity? And what he was trying to get me to see is, I I need to have an eternal perspective. You think of these trials and things we're going through. These are temporary. Yeah. This world's passing away. We, we need to have eternal perspective, which is God's perspective, mind you. Um, and that certainly strengthens the believer to, to go through the different things. Like you said, they just don't seem to, to hit just as hard as they used to. Oh, I know. And, and I th- but I think also along those terms is we get so caught up in me, myself, and I, we get so caught up in, well, I've got to please my workers, please my world around me. Instead of thinking about, we need to not live by the flesh, mm. you know, uh, live in the carnal nature. Yep. And, and um, Paul says something really good in Galatians 5.16. He says to walk by the Spirit mm. and you will not gratify the desires of your flesh. Yeah. I mean, it's really where it's at. If, if we keep our focus out and looking at the things that are negative or sinful or going to hurt us or the things we want to try to do but we shouldn't sure we're going we're going to end up falling into temptation yeah what's the scripture the old proverb that says something to the effect as a man thinketh so, so is he see. yeah and and i think that lines exactly yeah. up with what you're saying um, there, there's another one too, Proverbs four twenty three. There's a lot of good scriptures. I, I will put these scriptures on my YouTube so you can read them and look, the, look them all up. Okay, but in four twenty three it says, above all else, guard your heart, mm. for everything you do flows from it. Mm. So, do we really do that? Yeah. Are, are we so busy? If we look at the parable Jesus taught about the you know, the seeds on hard rock, soil, good soil, yep. and so forth. Are we guarding our heart? Because it talks about the seed that got into that place where it grew really fast, but all the pressures of the world and anxieties and stuff yep. crowded us out and we died. Sure. Are we, is that where we're going to stay and live? Or mm. are we going to actually find good soil? and ground ourselves in him. Yeah, and I think uh, that's part of the biblical answer to the phrase that you said earlier. Uh, we'll just trust your heart. No, no, no. Don't trust your heart. Guard your heart. Yeah. Right? Because <laughs> what comes out of it. Right? Yeah. Something was told to me when I was when I was 16, I, and I, uh, I was on fire to tell people about Jesus. Yeah. And the reason that I became a Christian, because I didn't want to become a Christian. I mm-hmm. literally did not want. I had spent two years in Sunday school. because, And the only reason myself and my friends went is because the Sunday school teacher said, if you come twice a month, so we came only twice a month. Okay. Yeah. We have a quarterly outing that we will go. And we lived in Southern California. It might be to the snow, might be Olvera Street, it might you know, different sure, areas. Sure. Yeah. Well that sounds like fun. We yeah. could do that for a Saturday, you know, you know, other than just playing ball, because that's what we usually did. So we went twice a month and that's why we did it. But I I saw all these people other kids in the in the um teenage group and I knew some of them from the parties oh, sure. I went to and yep. from the people who did drinking and drunken 
sexual activity. Sure. And they were there at the church and they were there asking forgiveness one week and saying they love Jesus. And all of a sudden, two mm-hmm. weeks later, they're back or a week later, they're in a party and a week later, they're asking forgiveness. It was this roller coaster. I thought, I never want to be part of that mm. until I was afraid of burning in hell because mm. I read this little yep. pamphlet. So I started talking to people and talking and words came out of my mouth that I never, because I didn't own a Bible. Mm. All those two years, I did not own a Bible. And finally, somebody gave me a Bible. My mm. pastor gave me a Bible. And in it, he wrote, um, I want to get this exactly right. He, it was really easy. He said, be faithful to God, and he will bless you. Mm. And I think that that's some of the problem we have as Christian type people. Sure. We're not faithful to God. Sure. We don't keep him focused and centered in our life. Mm-hmm. And once we really do that, God will find that God will bless us. Mm-hmm. He gives us the strength. The, the, Jesus said that the Holy Spirit will teach us all things and guide us into all truth. Mm-hmm. Why don't we believe that? Yeah. You know, um, thinking of that, because you're absolutely right, Alan. What encourages me is there are stories in the Bible like the prodigal son. Why you talk about unfaithful. Mm -hmm. Um, There are people in the Bible like Paul who persecuted the church. Um, There are people in there like that that I can relate to and to know that like the prodigal son, you know, if we have a, a, you you might have a listener right now that's not faithful, not living faithful. Well, the encouragement is run back to the Father. He's going to embrace you with open arms. Uh, and that's the beauty of, of God's word and the grace, right? It's all grace. Mm-hmm. I don't earn anything. It's all grace. And so I would encourage anyone that's right now maybe living an unfaithful life. Uh, and trust me, I know it's probably tormenting them, right? Because you're... That's a struggle. That's, yeah. that's, that's not an easy thing to deal with. In fact, I was listening to Chip Ingram one time. Uh, he was saying uh, that when he was in college, he would, he would do the partying scene like on uh, Thursday night. And then on Saturday, he'd teach a Bible study. And Sunday, he'd be at the altar praying, Lord, forgive me. I hate that I'm doing this. And then Thursday, it'd be, it was like this vicious cycle, like he said. And it wasn't until he said about the 300th time he's down at the altar praying that he's the spirit of God said to him when he said, I, I I'm so sorry. I don't like the, the spirit of God spoke to him and said, no, you need to be honest with me. You like what you're doing. What you need to ask me to do is to change your heart. It goes back to the yeah. heart thing that we're talking about. Um, I want to read a few scriptures here. Sure. Um, and, uh, because I, I want to end on a positive note and I want to, I want people to understand that if we keep our focus, I've learned if you keep your focus, you don't need to worry about the trials or temptations. I, I'm not going to say that you're above it because sure. everybody is a, not a, nobody is immune to temptation. I mean, but we could we could become stronger and it not be so on our conscious right. that we're actually because we're seeking Jesus, we're focusing on Him rather than focusing on the negative part. Right, right. It says it says in first in Colossians three seventeen, and whatever you do in word or in deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Mm. 
See, if we're, if we're constantly or continually, you know, seeking him right. in everything we do, everything we say, you know, then I think that we're being blessed. We're being filled mm-hmm. with this. Um, you know, the earlier when I talked about Galatians 5, it goes on to Galatians 22 and 23. A lot of people know this about the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is essentially many of the characteristics of God. Mm. If we can literally plug into those characteristics, we're we're now becoming more like Jesus. Sure, yeah. As we become more like Jesus, you know, hopefully one day we can say, as Paul did, for me to live as Christ. That's our goal. I really believe that. Um, In... um, In Colossians 3, 1, it says, If then you have been raised with Christ, Mm -hmm. seek the things that are above. Again, Mm -hmm. focusing on him. Mm -hmm. Where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Where is your focus? Where is your focus? You know, I I teach uh, uh, much about, I was brought, I was taught about the God is first, second is family, third is church, fourth is job, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And I really don't like that list. In fact, I really, I watch people make other people feel guilty, feel bad, Mm. you know, and ridicule them because they weren't uh, at first, God was in first place because they're spending more time on the golf course or at work or whatever it might be. And instead, I teach that, you know, it's like a circle, like a pie, and in the center is, is Jesus. And all these pieces of pie that God puts in your life are like your, your family or your job or your hobbies or whatever. And in that, at the center of each of those relationships is Jesus. Mm. So therefore, no matter where you are partaking in or, or fellowshipping in or doing, you know, Jesus is at the center of each one of those. So yeah. therefore, there's no worry about what's not in first place. Sure. Because Jesus is at the center of all of your life. Yeah. And I like that. And I think if once we learn that, that Jesus is the center of all of our life, he becomes our life. Sure. And then the temptations and the trials begin to dissipate mm. because our focus is on him rather than the trials or temptations. Yeah, that old hand, fix your eyes upon Jesus. Look full oh, in his wonderful face. Exactly. And the things of the earth will grow strangely dim. Exactly. Yeah. Love that song. Yeah. Well, yeah, it's it's time, and uh, I really thank you for joining us today. Uh, it's been a good lesson. It's been a good talk. Uh, thank you for joining me, Josh. I have thoroughly enjoyed it. And uh, everyone, you have a wonderful day and a wonderful week. Aloha. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.